Christ be our light, shine in your church. Gather today, Lord, bless us as we come before you and seek your word. Speak to us as we open your word this day. Amen. About 20-odd years ago, uh, before I entered training for the ministry, I was a member of a, a, a small but uh, vibrant uh, church in Hampshire. And one week, um, just at the start of the summer, uh, the, the junior church were uh, leading the service. Uh, and uh, as one of the, the leaders of junior church, I, I, I was stood uh, at the front during the, the final hymn uh, next to a woman called Jill. And uh, Jill was um, the, the, sort of the, the coordinator, a bit like Dorney's from Lighthouse, you know, uh, the coordinator of Sunday school, the, the junior church. And also a bit like Donna, she was a very good singer, right? Now, whether those two things always go together, I don't know. But, but, but Jill was a most excellent singer. Uh, and we were stood next to each other. And uh, I can't remember what the final song was, what that hymn was. But we, we praised God from the depth of our heart. You know, we gave it... Our all. Admittedly, one of us was a bit out of tune. And it wasn't her. <laughs> and as the, uh, as the service closed, she turned to me and said, Never mind, Keith. You'll get a new voice in heaven. <laughs> but I responded... I responded to that comment. I know that she'd said it jokingly. I wouldn't need one. God doesn't listen to what comes out. He listens to what's coming out in here, what's inside. That's the praise he listens to. I imagine we all have a favourite song or style of music. For some, it is more classical. For others, a bit country or folky. There are those who like rock, maybe even a spot of punk. Not to mention reggae or northern soul, K-pop, blues... Whatever, there's a whole, there's as many different styles of music as there probably are gathered here today, isn't there? And some of you will appreciate a wide range of music, and some of you will appreciate a smaller range of music. So as the worship band and the organ and everybody leads us, we don't always appreciate 
what we hear. But actually we should. Because they're not here to entertain us. They're not here to make us happy. That's not their purpose. We're not coming here to a performance. We come and worship. We come and seek to honor God as they lead us. And I give thanks that we have these people and others, some of which are in the congregation, some of which are out with Lighthouse, because they have a blessing in our church. One of my churches in Northampton, before I came here, didn't have any musicians. Not one. Nobody at the piano. Nobody at an organ. Nobody at a guitar. It had a digital hymnal. It had a digital hymnal that you pressed the buttons and played the music that way. For years before I got there, and also for the five years since. Please do give thanks for what we've been blessed with in this fellowship. For the, this, for the children, for the fact that we can meet here together, that we are a vibrant community. Our passage has two songs in it. And as Jane read it, I'm sure she realized that one of the songs was very long and one of them was very short. Music comes in lots of different ways. But these are the first two songs that we seem to have in the Bible. The first reference also to dancing. You know, when uh, when Richard was leading us in the back the other week, and there was a verse that said, oh, I feel like dancing. You know, I kind of looked round about and thought, <laughs> we'll sing with joy like we are dancing now. Maybe I should have got us all to do a bit more pre-action earlier. You know, there's different ways we can worship God. But these, these they're, they're different lengths. They're sung by different people, men and women. But they fulfill the same purpose. They're praising God for the victory over the Egyptians. They're singing from where the Israelites are on the bank, having crossed over the Red Sea. They know that they are safe. They know that their God is powerful. They know from deep within that God can do amazing things. If you read further down the chapter, they're soon grumbling and moaning again. But at this time, they're giving their praise to God. And there's times that, that we really latch on to the words that we sing. 
you know, maybe, maybe with the, the storm coming, you know, and the wind that we can just kind of hear, you know, blowing about outside, maybe we should have been having some, like, will you anchor hold, you know, that sense of the storms. But we've sung, be bold, be strong, because we know that the Lord our God is with us. You know, we, we can have that thing. But sometimes the, the imagery doesn't connect with others. And the songs that we sing are maybe a little bit different from that of Moses and of the prophet Miriam. There's always an encouragement here for women in the church. Uh, as early as Exodus, Miriam being referred to as a prophet, you know, in that sense that she speaks God's word. But anyway, we praise God for our salvation. We praise God. We proclaim his unfailing love, which Moses' song likewise does. But we would probably stop short in our praise of going quite where Moses goes. Oh, look, the Egyptians have drowned. How lovely. We tend not to go there in our praise song, do we? Rejoicing in the death of others. That language doesn't quite fit neatly into our hymnal. It poses us a challenge. And it can lead to accusations by those outside of the church. How can we declare God is love? As it does in 1 John 4. But then see so much death and so much destruction. How can we have that praise? We can't simply say, well, the drowning of the Egyptians, that's a bit Old Testament, isn't it? We are New Testament people. That doesn't cut the mustard. God is unchanging. The concept of God being loving is proclaimed numerous times throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. The grumble of the prophet in Jonah 4 verse 2 is that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. What an awful God that is. Gracious and compassionate. A God who relents from sending calamity. That's the truth of who our God is. But if God relents from sending calamity, why the drowning of the Egyptians? Why the rejoicing of Moses and Miriam, the men of Israel and the women? The Egyptians, the villains of this early part of the Exodus story, do the wrong thing. 
But I wonder if in rejoicing in their death, Moses and Miriam are guilty of doing the wrong thing too. Yes, the Israelites are free to go onwards. But we have a God who loves those that have just been drowned. One of the things we must always remember is that, with the obvious exception of Jesus, everyone is flawed. Everyone has issues. And we see that in characters in Scripture. Noah gets drunk and falls asleep naked. Abraham fails to trust the Lord and fathers a child with Hagar, his wife's servant. King David, he's a voyeur, ogling Bathsheba from the roof. Peter, on the night Jesus is betrayed, denies his Lord. Not once. Not twice. That a biblical hero does something doesn't make it good and right. It shows us who they are. They're human. Like us. And when we see them doing something, we have to stop and think, what is right and what would the God of love, the God of hope, the God who gave us Jesus, want us to see and want us to do? Let's return to the passage. We we need to think of what's led up to this point. We need to think of the journey so far. We need to think of the ungratefulness of a pharaoh and of his people. The Egyptian community would not have survived seven years of famine had it not been for Israel's son, Joseph interpreting a dream and accepting the office of governor. But memories are short. That had been 400 years ago. And as time had passed, the Egyptian treatment of the Israelites had turned to seeing them as slaves. And that's simply racist. People who had come and helped and contributed to the land were turned away. Turned away from power. Turned away from being accepted. Turned away from being part of the nation but not turned away in a way that would allow them to go home. Oh, no. They were subject to ill treatment. And racist attitudes persist 
around the world towards immigration, don't they? For our own economy to grow, we need immigrants in many different industries. But yet they still face discrimination. The same is true in the United States, where statistics show immigrants are less likely to commit crime than others in their population who were born in that country. But of course, that's not what some in power would have the US here, is it? Our economy grows in the UK thanks to immigration. In Exodus, the opportunities for the Israelites were slim. And as it's time for them to go, they are repeatedly denied that ability. And they denied it because of injustice. And then following the plagues and following the Passover, when they do leave, they are pursued. There needn't have been such destruction caused by the plagues. But we're told that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And we're told it's hardened in two ways. One is that Pharaoh himself hardens his heart. And the other is that God hardens his heart. And the Lord hardens his heart because there's not an openness to what is true. There's not an openness in Pharaoh to do what is right. His actions, therefore, have consequences. And the same is true of us. When we have a hard heart, there are consequences to our actions. And when we have a heart of love, there's a consequence there too. Positive or negative. Even when we do something small, even a smile or a frown has consequences. And will have an impact on others' lives. The Pharaoh could have sent the Israelites off to Canaan with his blessing. When Moses came before him and said, let my people go, the people could have gone in freedom. Thank you for what Joseph did, could have been said. Thank you for how you have worked here. But that's not what happened. We see in Ezra, much later on, how the Babylonian exile is ended when the Persian king Cyrus tells the people they are free. 
they can return home from exile. They were taken captive. They didn't go there necessarily of their own free will. They were taken captive. But yet they can go. They are released. They are blessed to rebuild the temple and encouraged to seek provisions to do it. But that's because Cyrus sought something of God and the Pharaoh didn't. The Pharaoh, despite repeatedly seeing God's power, God's strength, the fact that he was the one true God, that the Nile wasn't a God. Despite seeing that, he would not yield to the Lord. And so we get the episode that we have today. The Israelites freeing. The Lord parting the sea and closing it behind, crowning the Egyptian pursuers. It caused great darkness, but also offered great light. God has love. And he calls us to love. To live a life of praise. To live in a way that embraces others. That seeks mercy and justice. Not simply for those that we like or agree with. But for ice to be broken and hardened hearts to soften and God's kingdom to be known by all. The songs of Moses and Miriam are beautiful in some ways and yet have a human frailty to them because they're written by humans. May we humans, with our frailties, worship God. And may it not matter how the sound comes out of our mouths, but may it matter greatly how hard or soft how deep or shallow our hearts are. May our hearts sing music pleasing to God's ears. Amen.